Book Two, Chapter Twenty One of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty One Shargar Aspires. Robert's heart was dreary when he got on the box seat of the mail coach at Rothenden. It was yet drearier when he got down at the Royal Hotel in the street of Bon Accord, and it was dreariest of all when he turned his back on Ericsson's and entered his own room at Mrs. Fivey's. Shargar had met him at the coach. Robert had scarcely a word to say to him, and Shargar felt as dreary as Robert when he saw him sit down and lay his head on the table without a word. "'What's the matter with ye, Robert?' he faltered out at last. If ye did not spake to me, I'll cut my throat out. Will, Faith. Hold your tongue with your nonsense, Shargar. Mr. Ericsson's dean. Oh, Lord, said Shargar, and said nothing more for the space of ten minutes. Then he spoke again, slowly and sententiously. He had not you to take care of him, Robert. War is he? At the boar's head. That's weel. He'll be looking after there. A body would like to have their own hand in it, Shargar. Ay, I wish we had him here again. The ice of trouble thus broken, the stream of talk flowed more freely. Who are ye getting on at the school, man? asked Robert. Nay that ill, answered Shargar. I was at the head of my class yesterday for five minutes. And who did ye like it? Man, it was fine. I thought I was a gentleman all at once hold ye at it man said robert as if from the height of age and experience and maybe you will be a gentleman some day is it possible robert a crater like me grow into a gentleman said shargar with wide eyes what for no returned robert eh man said shargar he stood up sat down again and was silent for on thing resumed robert after a pause during which he had been pondering upon the possibilities of shargar's future for on thing i doot whether dr anderson would have taken ony fosh aboot ye if he had not thought ye had the making of a gentleman in ye eh mon said shargar he stood up again sat down again and was finally silent next day robert went to see dr anderson and told him about ericson the doctor shook his head, as doctors have done in such cases from Esculapius downwards. Robert pressed no further questions. "'Will he be taken care of where he is?' asked the doctor. "'Good care of,' answered Robert. "'Has he any money, do you think?' "'I have nae doubt he has some, for he's been teaching all the summer. The like of him mount and will work whether they're fit or no.' Well, at all events, you write, Robert, and give him the hint that he's not to fash himself about money, for I have more than he'll want. And you may just take the hint yourself at the same time, Robert, my boy, he added in, if possible, a yet kinder tone. Robert's way of showing gratitude was the best way of all. He returned kindness with faith. If I be in ony want, doctor, I'll just run to ye at once, and if I want or a muckle, ye maun just say nay. That's a good fellow. You take things as a body means them. But have ye nothing ye would like me to do for ye this session, sir? 
No, I won't have you do anything but your own work. You have more to do than you had last year. Mind your work, and as often as you get tired over your books, shut them up and come to me. You may bring Shargar with you sometimes, but we must take care and not make too much of him all at once. Ay, ay, doctor, but he's a fine crater, Shargar, and I did not think he'll be that easy to blod. What do you think he's turning o'er in that red head of his new? I can't tell that, but there's something to come out of the red head, I do believe. What is he thinking of? Whether it be possible for him ever to be a gentleman, no, I take that for a good sign in the likes of him. No doubt of it. What did you say to him? I tell him at who I did not think you would have taken so muckle fash if he had not had some hopes of the kind about him. You said well. Tell him from me that I expect him to be a gentleman. And by the way, Robert, do try a little, as I think I said to you once before, to speak English. I don't mean that you should give up Scotch, you know. Weel, sir, I have been trying, but what am I to do when ye spake to me as if ye were my own father? I cannot mind upon a word of English when ye do that. Dr. Anderson laughed, but his eyes glittered. Robert found Shargar busy over his Latin version. With a wheel Shargar, he took his books and sat down. A few moments after, Shargar lifted his head, stared a while at Robert, and then said, Do you really think it, Robert? Think what? What are you havering at, you gawk? Do you think at I ever could grow into a gentleman? Dr. Anderson says he expects it of ye. Eh, man. A long pause followed, and Shargar spoke again. Who am I to begin, Robert? Begin what? To be a gentleman. Robert scratched his head like Brutus, and at length became oracular. Spake the truth, he said. I'll do that, but what about my father? Nobody'll cast up your father to ye. Ye need have nae fear of that. My mother, then, suggested Shargar with hesitation. You mount hold your face to the fact. Ay, ay, but if they said anything you know about her. If any man-body says a word again your mother, you mount just knock him down upon the spot. But I might not be able. You could try, anyway. He might knock me down, you know. Well, go doin' then. Ay. This was all the instruction Robert ever gave Shargar in the duties of a gentleman, and I doubt whether Shargar sought further enlightenment by direct question of any one. He worked harder than ever, grew cleanly in his person, even to fastidiousness, tried to speak English, and a wonderful change gradually but rapidly passed over his outer man. He grew taller and stronger, and as he grew stronger his legs grew straighter, till the defect of approximating knees, the consequence of hardship all but vanished. His hair became darker, and the albino looked less remarkable, though still he would remind one of a vegetable grown in a cellar. Dr. Anderson thought it well that he should have another year at the grammar school before going to college. Robert now occupied Ericsson's room and left his own to Shargar. Robert heard every week from Miss St. John about Ericsson, her reports varied much, but on the whole he got a little better as the winter went on. She said that the good women 
at the boar's head paid him every attention she did not say that almost the only way to get him to eat was to carry him delicacies which she had prepared with her own hands she had soon overcome the jealousy with which miss letty regarded her interest in their guest and before many days had passed she would walk into the archway and go up to his room without seeing any one except the sister whom she generally found there by what gradations their intimacy grew i cannot inform my reader for on the events lying upon the boundary of my story i have received very insufficient enlightenment but the result it is easy to imagine i have already hinted at an early disappointment of miss st john she had grown greatly since and her estimate of what she had lost had altered considerably in consequence but the change was more rapid after she became acquainted with ericson she would most likely have found the young man she thought she was in love with in the days gone by a very commonplace person now the heart which she had considered dead to the world had even before that stormy night in the old house begun to expostulate against its owner's mistake by asserting a fair indifference to that portion of its past history and now to her large nature the simplicity the suffering the patience the imagination the grand poverty of ericson were irresistibly attractive add to this that she became his nurse and soon saw he was not indifferent to her and if she fell in love with him as only a full-grown woman can love without ericson's lips saying anything that might not by love's jealousy be interpreted as only of grateful affection why should she not and what of marjorie lindsay ericson had not forgotten her but the brightest star must grow pale as the sun draws near and on ericson there were two suns rising at once on the low seashore of life whereon he had been pacing up and down moodily for three-and-twenty years listening evermore to the unprogressive rise and fall of the tidal waves all talking of the eternal all unable to reveal it the son of love and the son of death mysie and he had never met she pleased his imagination she touched his heart with her helplessness but she gave him no welcome to the shrine of her beauty he loved her through admiration and pity he broke no faith to her for he had never offered her any saving looks and she had not accepted it she was but a sickly plant grown in a hothouse on his deathbed he found a woman a hiding-place from the wind a covert from the tempest the shadow of a great rock in a weary land a strong she-angel with mighty wings mary st john came behind him as he fainted out of life tempered the burning heat of the sun of death and laid him to sleep in the cool twilight of her glorious shadow in the stead of trouble about a wilful thoughtless girl he found repose and protection and motherhood in a strong-hearted woman for ericson's sake robert made some effort to preserve the acquaintance of mr lindsay and his daughter but he could hardly keep up a conversation with mr lindsay and mysie showed herself utterly indifferent to him even in the way of common friendship he told her of ericson's illness she said she was sorry to hear it and looked miles away he could never get within a certain atmosphere of what shall i call it avertedness that surrounded her she had always lived in a dream of unrealities and the dream had almost devoured her life one evening shargar was later than usual in coming home from the walk or ramble rather without which he could never settle down to his work he knocked at robert's door 
Where do you think I've been, Robert?' "'Who should I know, Shargar?' answered Robert, puzzling over a problem. "'I've been having a glass with Jock Mitchell.' "'What's Jock Mitchell?' "'My brother Sandy's groom, as I tell to you afore. "'I did not think I can mind all your havers, Shargar. "'Whar was the coming gentleman when ye go to drink with a child like that? "'What, if my memory serves me, ye told me yourself was in the midst of his master's devilry. "'Your memory serves ye well enough to be doing upon me,' said Shargar. "'But there's a bit wordy at they read at the cathedral kirk the last Sunday at Stuckin to me as if there was something by ordinary in it what's that asked robert pretending to go on with his calculations all the time ow nay muckle only this judge not that ye be not judged i took a lesson from jack the giant killer with the welsh giant was it blunderbore they called him and poured the most of my glass doing my breast it was not like ink it would not do my sark only ill but what made you go on with him at all? He was not fit company for a gentleman. A gentleman some soft if he be only the war of the company he goes on intil. There may be reasons, you know. Ye need not do as they do. Jock Mitchell was Aaron Reed Rory and Black Geordie, and says I, for I wanted to know whether I was such a broom bush as I used to be, says I, Who are ye, Jock Mitchell? And says Jock Brawley what the devil are ye and says i nay more of a devil nor yourself jock mitchell or alexander baron rothy either though maybe that's no little of one preserve me cried jock it's shargar nay more of that jock says i if i be not a gentleman or all be done and there i stack for i saw i was a muckle fool to let oot anything of the kind of jock and so he seemed to think too, for he brake oot with the great guffaw, and to win o'er it I ginned him and laugh as if naething was farther off from my thoughts than ever being a gentleman. Where do you put up, Jock? I said. Oot by here, he answered, at Lucky Maitland's. That's a queer place for a baron to put up, Jock, says I. There's risen, says he, and lays his forefinger upon the side of his nose, of whilk there was hardly enough to hold it on gone until the opposite e we're no far from there says i indeed i can hardly tell you robert what made me say so but i just wanted to know what the gentleman brother of mine was after take the horse home says i i'll just loup upon black geordie and we'll have a glass together i'll stand treat say he go me the bridle and i lap on the devil tried to get a mouthful of my hip but faith i was over swack for him and away we rode. I did not know you could ride, Shargar. Hoots, I could not help it. I was I taking the horse to the water at the boar's head, or the royal oak, or lucky happets, or the octon furty. That's why I came to know Jacques say well. We were good enough friends when I did not care for lean or swearing and sich like. And what on earth did you want with him no? I tell you, I wanted to know what that ne'er-do-well brother of mine was after. I had seen the horses standing about twa or three times in the gloaming, and Sandy Mount be aboot ill if he be aboot anything. What can it matter to you, Shargar, what a man like him's aboot? Well, you see, Robert, my mother I brought me up to know all at folk was aboot, 
for she said you could never tell when it might turn out to the wheel far of your advantage. Grand words. I wonder why she foregathered with them. But she was a terrible woman, my mother, and knew a heap of things. More nor it was good to know, maybe. She got about the country, say muckle, and they say the gypsies she got among a dreadful old folks, and have the wisdom of the Egyptians at Moses would have nothing to do with. Why is she new? I do not know. She may turn up any day. There is a thing, though, Shargar. If you want to be a gentleman, you may not go on keekin' that way until other folks' affairs. Well, I maun give it up. I will not say a word of what Jock Mitchell tellt me about Lord Sandy. I'll say away. Nay, nay, you would not like to hear about other folks' affairs. My mother tellt me he did vera ill after Waterloo till a stranger lass at Brussels. But that's neither here nor there. I'm out set about my version, or I will not get it during the night. What is Lord Sandy after? What did the rascal tell you? Why do you make such a mystery of it? said Robert authoritatively, and in his best English. Deed, I could not make nothing of him. He winked, and he hinted, and he gave me to understand at the devil was after some lass or either. But what? My lad was as dumb as the graveyard about that. If I could only win at that, maybe I could play him a plisky. But he coop it or three glasses of whusky, and the more he drank, the less he would say. And say I left him. Well, take care what you're about, Shargar. I don't think Dr. Anderson would like you to be in such company, said Robert. And Shargar departed to his own room and his version. Towards the end of the session, Miss St. John's reports of Ericson were worse. Yet he was very hopeful himself, and thought he was getting better fast. Every relapse he regarded as temporary, and when he got a little better, thought he had recovered his original position. It was some relief to Miss St. John to communicate her anxiety to Robert. After the distribution of prizes, of which he gained three, Robert went the same evening to visit Dr. Anderson, intending to go home the next day. The doctor gave him five golden sovereigns, a rare sight in Scotland. Robert little thought in what service he was about to spend them. End chapter 21